0: Since the birth of the first pair of brothers, Cain and Abel, people have known how to physically harm one another. (laughs) It's probably our most basic human instinct demonstrating physical superiority to get what we want. Every toddler, elementary kid, high schooler, and adult instinctively knows how to throw a punch if given the opportunity and the right motive. And as humans are wont to do, people learned pretty quickly how to advertise it, monetize it, present it as entertainment for us to enjoy, In Olympic terms, the uh, sport of boxing has been around since the 7th century BC and it's a sport that continues to thoroughly entertain us today. And on the surface, if you take the sport at face value, you might think the whole thing's a bit ridiculous and fair enough. It's a pretty carnal and aggressive activity that we ought to generally abstain from in order to maintain a healthy and functional society. Uh, So we've isolated the activity instead into one or a few um, especially acceptable realms, whether it's in the ring, or in the octagon, or on the movie screen. I I personally love really good action choreography. Uh, But the thing is, as a sport, there's something uniquely impressive about boxing. Um, Because if you've ever seen a proper boxing match between uh, two professionals, you know that the sport is not just about who can punch the hardest. Uh, That's important, certainly. It's good to know how to punch hard, but arguably more important than that is the sport is about endurance. It's about stamina. Uh, Throwing punches is exhausting by itself, but on top of that, you're getting punched in the stomach and the jaw and the skull and the arms and the chest uh, by an opponent just as big and just as strong as you. In professional boxing, a match can go as long as 12 three-minute rounds. Before 1982, this movie came out in 76, so boxers went for 15 rounds. Uh, So while punching hard enough to knock you out, your opponent quickly is important. Some opponents have some seriously hard heads. So the more crucial objective is to simply stay standing for 36 to 45 minutes straight. Well, with breaks in between rounds, actually. But to be an effective boxer, though, you have to know how to take it as much as you can dish it out. Uh, 1976's Rocky is a story of a man who has consistently had to take it, without ever being presented much of an opportunity to dish it out. Rocky Balboa is a no-name Philadelphia boxer who does small-time fights, uh, accepting the belief that the opportunity for true greatness as a fighter has passed him by. He's around 30 years old, he doesn't have much of a family, and he lives in a rough apartment in downtown Philly. And during the day, he works as a leg-breaker for a loan shark. Uh, He's not particularly smart, but he actually is, what you find in the movie, he's quite kind-hearted and quite compassionate. He desires to prove himself as more than just another bum from the neighborhood, uh, which is a very harsh insult in the context of the film, Um, but he's never really gotten uh, that chance. He's never gotten the chance to be great. One day, however, an opportunity falls into his lap to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed, in an exhibition match as part of Philadelphia's uh, bicentennial celebration of the United States in 1976. For Apollo, this is an opportunity for good showmanship and self promotion. For Rocky, though, This is the moment he's always been waiting for, the chance to be great. As a film, uh, Rocky is incredible. Uh, It won the best picture in 1977 at the Oscars, and for good reason. Uh, It's arguably the greatest underdog story ever put to film, and as a franchise, it's still incredibly influential in culture and media today. It's actually still alive through its sequel series Creed, uh, which follows Apollo's son Adonis as Rocky trains him up to be a great fighter. I recommend any movie lover in the room who hasn't seen the original Rocky to give it a watch. It's on Netflix. I, I watched it last Sunday as part of my sermon prep. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, my quick review is over now. Uh, I sound like Turner Classic Movies, which I had on all the time in my house because my dad likes old classic movies and stuff, old westerns and things like that. It's actually funny, my dad, uh, he's listened to just about every sermon I've ever given. This has been recorded and available for him to watch. And he is uh, very encouraging most of the time, but he says that I use movies too much as a crutch. and. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, Dad, I didn't pick the series this this month, and so (laughs) here we are, I'm talking about Rocky, right? And as a movie, Rocky is incredibly fun, Uh, it's got some strong themes about greatness, about love, friendship, hard work, Uh, but at its core, I think Rocky is a story about perseverance and endurance, the movie is not about winning or being the best, it's about getting up in our hardest trials. It's a, it's a message that is present throughout the scriptures, and especially for the saints in the New Testament, uh, endurance, those who undergo many trials of many kinds, that is the message, endurance. So I'll ask you this question, have you faced trials of many kinds? I want you to think introspectively for a moment, what kind of trials do you face? Are they financial? Do you struggle with money? Uh, Is it relational? Are you having maybe a difficult time with your spouse at the moment and you're wondering where the light is at the end of that tunnel? Uh, Maybe it's health related or are you at war with disease or physical pain uh, and being regularly discouraged by this? Are you anxious or depressed? Do you wrestle with your own thoughts, your doubts and concerns, making each day just a little bit more challenging to face? For some of you, is this all true? Are all these the case for you? Uh, One thing I say we can all collectively agree on is that we face the trial of sin. What 1 John 2.16 calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that which is not from the Father, but is from the world. (laughs) Collectively, this is our greatest trial. Other trials we face may not necessarily be sinful in nature. Disease, for example, may not be a trial of sin, but... We can allow illness to distract us from the hope we have in Christ and then it leads us into sin. Maybe we would cope with our illness through the abuse of medication or the grief of the illness shortens our tempers and we harm others around us with our words and actions. Perhaps your trial leaves you doubting God's faithfulness and goodness altogether. I want you to watch this clip from the movie where Rocky, you know, he's been handed this fight uh, to to fight against uh, Apollo, and uh, Rocky is wrestling with the fear that he's feeling because he's not really especially prepared. He's not optimistic that this is going to go very well for him, and there's not a lot of time to train. Uh, But the trainer at his boxing gym that he goes to regularly, his name is Mick, uh, after not really paying Rocky much attention over the years, uh, he finally comes to Rocky's house, and he gives him the attention that he's probably always been needing in order to prepare for this. So let's watch this clip together. I really love that scene. You can feel all that pent-up frustration and anger from Rocky. It's his fury at the thought that this is simply unfair. This is supposed to be the opportunity of my lifetime, the ultimate chance to prove myself and take on the champ, but it seems like it came a decade too late. He should have been preparing for this fight 10 years ago, but Mick paid him no attention at the time, and now he comes to his house wanting to help him out. Where was Mick a decade ago? He's, he's going to be a punching bag for Creed. It's not fair. I know the temptation of feeling as though God has wronged me. I'm sure that's an easy trap for some of you too. God, why am I dealing with this? Why can't it just stop already? Where is the relief? This is too much for me. This is Job's spiritual war in the scriptures as his life crumbles to pieces after he loses his children and his livestock and his land and being plagued with illness. Job cries out to God in grief and he says this in Job 10. He says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, Do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands, and favor the designs of the wicked? Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any I had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease. Stop it, Lord. Leave me alone, that I might find a little cheer. Such harsh words spoken from such a broken heart. Has this ever been you? Whether or not you've been angry toward God, I imagine we've at least been in the position of simply asking, Why? It's a small word, but it's a massive question. Why does a good God permit such suffering in this world? God, why have nearly 100 people, or over 100 people now maybe, uh, died in fires in Hawaii? God, why do I have this disease? Why can't I shake the anxious thoughts and the feelings that I have? Why am I being strangled in my sin? These aren't unreasonable questions. And the church has made great effort throughout history to make logical theological cases for the permission of evil and suffering under the sovereignty of an all-good God. These cases historically are called theodicies. St. Augustine's Theodicy says this, that we should expect evil as a natural result of a fallen and sinful world. The fact that we have any joy, any grace at all, uh, any, any, any fun, any happiness at all, should be seen as evidence of God's sovereign love and grace towards us. St. Irenaeus says that uh, some suffering comes from free will, and the option to choose evil must be present if we're going to choose what is righteous, namely, faith in Christ. Still, uh, some of these explanations leave us a bit unsatisfied or in our hurt, and I don't intend to perfectly answer the question of suffering for you today. I don't think these explanations are pointless or bad or a waste of time. I think they're good mental exercises, good spiritual exercises as well to come up with, uh, to to, to contemplate reasonable arguments for why we suffer, but I don't think I can easily comfort a grieving mother who has miscarried uh, by giving her a well-reasoned syllogism. Uh, Nor do I think it would be very wise to discard your grief because, after all, this is what we should expect from a fallen world. Instead, what I can say to you today is that there is a God who loves you, there is a God who grieves with you, and who has suffered death on our account so that we know that all things are restored in him. In that clip, you see Rocky venting his anger and frustration for a few minutes, and after a few punches and elbows dealt to his door, he he stops for a second. The camera pans to Mick, who's walking away down the street before Rocky chases him down. You hear no words spoken, just that sweet uh, sweet but somber Bill Conti soundtrack, and Rocky wraps his arm around Mick, shakes his hand, and goes back into his home, implying that he will uh, accept the training that Mick offers. After all the anger Rocky has that moment of clarity, the, the only one that could possibly help me train up for this fight has just offered to help me, and I sent him walking, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Suffering can be brutal, uh, and sometimes isolating, but it doesn't make sense to abandon the God of peace in your hurt. What makes sense is to ask from God what he promises he will give you. Job sees us even in his steadfastness before the Lord. We read Job 10, but just a few chapters later, Job 13 says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Job says, I don't know why God is allowing this, but I have hope in him. I will ask him many questions. I will Uh, I will ask so many questions, and I will wonder why, but I will find salvation in him and know that abandoning God is a far worse prospect. And this is part of the gospel. Because of our sin, you and I were destined to suffer eternally and hopelessly, but, but God, in his mercy, he has relented wrath upon us by the crucifixion of his only begotten Son. The judgment that was on you and is on me has now been placed on a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and all who believe in his name are saved to eternal life. It is a far, far better prospect to find ourselves in the arms of the God who promises life than to bitterly withhold ourselves from him because of our sin and be destined to an eternal death. So this is my call to you today, saints of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God here in Greenville, those who are joyful and content, and to those who grieve and suffer in the flesh, hold fast to what you have professed. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is reigning on high and he is coming again to restore us and creation. When we read our Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, whether it's the Gospels or the Epistles, the letters or, or Revelation, you can see a running thematic thread throughout of Jesus and the apostles calling the church higher, calling the church up, lifting them up to endurance and steadfastness. Because while the call of Christ promises eternal life, that call demands much of us It demands allegiance to Christ above all things. It demands uh, a repentance of sinful desire and action and that we be obedient to Christ. It, It demands patience as we wait and anticipate his coming. It demands love for our neighbor and for the enemy alike. And we don't get to decline the demands and maintain a saving faith. You just don't get to do that. I'm not suggesting that faith alone doesn't save, nor do I think that sinning disqualifies us from the gift of salvation in Christ, but a true faith is evidenced by our obedience to Christ and our adherence to his call. I think Jesus teaches us quite clear- clearly when he says in Matthew 7:21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the demands are truly challenging, but we are given a trainer. Another one of the promises of faith and obedience is the gift of God's Holy Spirit, who who the scriptures reveal as God dwelling in us, transforming us more and more into his image and character. This is what Romans 8 has to say. Paul says, uh, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He gives us strength, day by day, to be transformed, to reject sin and death, and take on life and peace. It's not an immediate process, but it is a process we undergo still, rejecting sin and training up in righteousness. That training montage uh, of Rocky that we watched, is an epic scene, it's one of the most classic scenes in all cinema, but it's not the first training scene we see in the film. Uh, the first time we see Rocky training, he, he wakes up exhausted and prepares for a run. He, he cracks five eggs and, and drinks the yolk straight out of a cup. It's disgusting. Uh, he even concludes his run uh, at the top of the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the exact same place where the montage ends. Um, but in the first time, he's, he gets to the top. He's kind of limping his way up, and he's breathing really heavily, and he's holding his side, and you can tell he's in pain. He's uh, physically not ready. And then he, he coughs, and then he limps his way back home. He knows he has a long way to go to train for this fight. I'm not much of a long-distance runner myself, but I, I did train for a half marathon in college. It was simultaneously the worst I've ever felt and the best I've ever felt in my whole life. Um, <laughs> but nothing was worse than that first four-mile run. It was at the end of the first week of training. I never ran that far. The furthest I'd ever gone was a 5K, about 3.1 miles. Um, I know the thing is we have some track and cross-country people made from the college here today. Hey, I'm embarrassing myself in front of you. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but it was January, and uh, I was preparing for my first four-mile run, and uh, it was cold outside, and so I opted to run on a treadmill at Ozark and, um, in a very not-well-air-conditioned room, and it was unbelievably boring. Uh, all you can do when you're running on that far on a treadmill is just watch that distance meter go up, you know, It it's 2.31. 2.32, it's just very slow, <laughs> it's it's very exhausting, um, and it was the longest 40 minutes of my life. Again, I'm embarrassing myself with about 11 minute pace there. And the knowledge that I had 11 more weeks of training ahead of me was not especially exciting. Uh, however, the uh, half marathon was in April, uh, and with the encouragement of friends at school, I kept up with the training routine for the most part. There was a weekend there where I got sick, and so I only got up to about eight miles uh, of training before the actual half marathon. but. Uh, I ran the race on April 1st, uh, 2017, and April Fool's Day, I kind of had this thought in my mind that maybe the, the race wasn't real, like I would show up in Springfield and it wouldn't actually happen. <laughs> but it was, it, there were a lot of people there, so we all got pink-prunked together. No, it happened. Um, and I uh, not you know, the first 10 miles of that race were kind of a cakewalk for me. I felt really good, actually, just, just going a nice, even 10, 11-mile pace. Uh, I think if Ben Harris ran that race, like I mean, he would have beat me by like an hour. But, uh, <laughs> but I didn't stop at all. That was my goal. I wanted to just run the race. I wanted to go uh, the whole time running. Uh, but the last 5k, the last 3.1 miles of that uh, mar- half marathon were pretty miserable. It was getting more and more difficult, so I had much more labor breathing. Uh, and. Uh, I did cross the line eventually, though, and I, and I did it. I, I didn't stop. That was just my objective, to just go slow, but make my way. And the catharsis, the relief, was fantastic. Uh, I, I, I know they say you probably shouldn't do this after uh, running a long-distance race, but I just chugged some water and I lay down in the grass as soon as I was done. It was 15 minutes, I was laying here. Lord, if you're gonna take me, take me now. You know, I was, re- I was ready. Um, but this is what discipline is. It's, it's painful up front, but it's transformative the longer you stick with it. And I, I admit I've, I've not been that physically disciplined in my life ever since, but I remember seeing the progress, watching as my endurance and my willpower increased. I, I even started to naturally feel better the more that I ran. I, I slept better too. Um, there, are, there were tangible di- benefits to having physical discipline. Paul says this to Timothy about the nature of training and discipline. He says this in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What we do now... How we train now, it'll pay dividends in our eternal life. My, my physical body, your physical body, it will waste away, it will break down. But our spiritual nature is being preserved for eternity in Christ. So that we, what we do now bears real consequences for our life ahead. We are forward-looking people. As Christians, we have to be looking ahead, right? No one, no one trains and looks at the first day and says, this didn't go well, I'm done. Well, you shouldn't do that, right? You should look to the 11 weeks ahead when the half marathon comes, it hurts now. But in 10 weeks, you're going to feel great. Uh, we have to be forward-looking people. We can't afford to not be people who look ahead to the spiritual life. So it's wise for us that we observe how we are training ourselves spiritually now. Paul's words here in First Timothy and, and throughout all of his letters are devoted to the reminder that there is more in store for us beyond the flesh. We are committed to that hope to that promise when pandemics come and when tragedy befalls your family and when families crumble and fall apart when illness tears through your body and when sin tempts your flesh our spirits are held tightly in the grip of a good and holy God he longs to see every believer hold on and to endure with discipline faith and wisdom knowing that the reward beyond is greater than the trials we now face there are greater things in store for us than simply our flesh Uh, As Rocky's training comes to a head in the film, after the training montage and everything, the fight's approaching, uh, he begins uh, to experience some natural anxieties about the fight. Uh, He's in pretty good shape, he's been doing pretty well, training and stuff, as you can tell. Um, But you can't really blame the man, he's a no-name boxer from Philly, and he's getting ready to take on the world champion. And he goes on a walk to try to clear his head, uh, and then eventually kinda comes back home to his apartment late in the evening. Uh, So let's watch this clip together. Rocky says it, it doesn't matter if he wins. I hope you can hear it through his Philadelphia drawl. All right. what, what matters is that he goes the distance. In 1976, like I said, the distance mean, meant uh, 15 three minute rounds, 45 minutes of taking jabs and punches from the best fighter in the world and not getting knocked out. He just wants to do what no one else has done against Creed go the distance, stay standing. I love that. Victory for Rocky is is not defeating his opponent. It's, it's simply knowing that no matter what, his enemy couldn't take him down, and that he was more than just a boom from Philly. So it begs the question, what does that training look like so that we ensure that we can go the distance? Well, first, I think that training looks like repentance. I think we begin here. Uh, as I said before, not all trials are a result of sin or uh, but, but, but some certainly can be, and, and it helps us to find ourselves in a right place with God as we try to overcome the world and the schemes of the devil. It is irrational of us to expect that we should overcome Satan's grip and persevere in the faith if we are abiding in the things that draw us further from God and deeper into death. Remember what Romans 8 says, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If we live in the flesh, we have allowed the flesh to overcome us rather than create opportunity for us to overcome it. God is faithful and just to forgive because of Christ's work on the cross. I would say make repentance a regular habit. I, I don't say this to encourage you to continue in sin so that you can continue to repent, but when you do sin, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, don't sit in it, but repent again and again. It's a daily habit of repentance. Humbly and honestly and earnestly repent. Uh, Confess that you are wrong and that God's ways are just and good and seek to follow his standard. You can't be trained up in righteousness without confessing and denying your unrighteousness. Uh, Number two, I would say this training looks like discipline, uh, right? This looks like a few different things, uh, but I specifically mean spiritual disciplines I think prayer is a great place to begin, as well as reading and studying the scriptures. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Reading scripture is necessary to knowing what is righteous. Uh, There are plenty of examples in the scriptures of unrighteousness as well, but I pray that you would look at those and see those as examples to not emulate. Um, But the the common thread uh, in the scriptures is that we have a God who is orchestrating a plan of redemption in spite of our unrighteousness because he is righteous. It's necessary that we know what these scriptures say. Other disciplines may include uh, worship time throughout the day, um, maybe listening to the word read aloud. Something I think we forget about is that scripture was written uh, and intended to be read aloud to communities of faith. uh, Because a lot of them couldn't read. Um, And so it's good for us to hear the word read to us, I think, Uh, Other disciplines include fasting for certain periods uh, or giving away money and and possessions as a means of destroying earthly idols, uh, instead leaning on the everlasting God, the one thing that will last forever, God in his fullness, God in his presence. The hardest things for us are the most transformative things. So if something's especially difficult for you, if something's hard for you to let go, I think all the more you need to, all the more you need to lay that thing down. Number three in training is fellowship. Uh, Part of the faith is is acknowledging that you are not an only child. Uh, You belong to a family. Uh, You are brothers and sisters grafted into the family by the shared blood of Jesus. Most of the time when Paul or Peter or the other apostles write to have endurance and remain steadfast, they aren't talking to one individual person living by himself. They're talking to whole, living, active communities of believers. When you are talking to, uh, when they are talking to individuals like Timothy and Titus, when you see those letters, they're, uh, Paul and Peter, they're they're talking to men who are leading and shepherding whole, living, active communities of believers, right? So I'm encouraged by the endurance of the deceased saints like Paul. I love Paul's story. I love Peter's story. I love, I love the history of the church that the apostles uh, went to the death for the sake of the name of Jesus. But more tangibly, more visibly, I'm even more encouraged when I see uh, brothers and sisters encourage one another here in this church when I see uh, families who are grieving the loss of, of a family member, and yet they still find their hope in God, and when I see brothers and sisters comforting those who are dealing with loss or dealing with illness and sickness. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24-25, it says this, "'Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near.'" Talk to one another. Ask difficult questions. If you came today just to hear songs and watch some movie clips and hear a message, then leave without any social contact. I would say that you came here for the wrong purpose. Instead, go to the commons after service. That's what, they're there, what's, what the commons are there for. Uh, greet the people you know and the people you don't know. Uh, pray together. Ask God for strength in the fight of faith together. Training is so much easier with a friend or family by your side. Right? Rocky has Mick and he has Adrian. Uh, and then he has the whole city, city of Philadelphia on his back at some point. You know, they're, they're cheering him on. And you and I have the saints of God, and more importantly, the spirit of the living God dwelling in us and among us. Um, how much more encouragement can we possibly have through the, the grace and the goodness of God present with us as we encourage one another? Because the truth is, you and I are incapable of defeating our opponent on our own. Satan is sinister. Uh, He may be far more clever and wicked than you and I are discerning and righteous. Uh, Sin and death are uh, capable of having a chokehold grip on each of us, but by the work of Christ on the cross and in his name, you and I together can have assured victory in him. We go the distance because we know that at the end, if we endure, there will be true rest. We are confident in the victory of Christ. We can lay down in the grass forever that our shepherd Lord Jesus has led us to, and we can rest but first, we must go the distance. The next clip is at the end of the film. The fight's been going on a while, and Rocky has impressed uh, with a strong opening. Uh, he knocks Creed down in the first round, and uh, it's pretty exciting. But as the fight goes on, uh, Creed responds in kind, and he is uh, showing him what a real champion looks like. Still, they both remain standing throughout the event, and uh, this clip starts uh, at the end of the 14th round. So. There was, in fact, a rematch. That's what Rocky 2 is about. But, uh, <laughs> um, some in, our world, some in our world will say that trials, suffering, pain, sickness, loss, grief, uh, they should all be proof that either God isn't real or at the very least he's not benevolent. But when I read the scriptures, the words of God, of course, but also the words of very real men who endure and suffer on account of the name of Christ, to the point of death even, it, it, it becomes clear how faulty of a conclusion that would be to make. The apostles Peter and Paul, John, James, Thomas, and many others of the first century church endure great suffering for the hope of the good news of Christ Jesus and his resurrection. At no point in the scriptures do we see some faulty understanding of the character of God because of the extent of our suffering. No, instead the apostles encouraged the church to endure because they know what they saw. The apostles know what they saw. They saw a crucified Jesus who suffered unjustly and was killed. But they also saw a resurrected Jesus who is now ascended and at the right hand of God the Father. They saw that. And the gospel assumes our suffering in the flesh, but it promises hope greater than the flesh. Jesus knew it in the garden as he prepared for his own suffering. The apostles know it as they're uh, being beheaded and crucified and stoned and boiled alive. They went the distance. Uh, My prayer, and I think it's highly unlikely, that anything like that would happen to us in our life. But still there are trials of many kinds that we will face, great and small. But the victory is won in Christ's name. He is the champion. Not you and not me, but Christ is the champion. Maybe you still have that spork that Tyson gave you last week. Uh, maybe some of you were like, I want lasagna for lunch and I'm also feeling soup. And so maybe now I have a thing for both things. That's crazy. And maybe you use it for lunch. I don't know. Uh, it's your prerogative. You do what you want. But uh, I don't have any eclectic silverware for you this week. But I do have... Uh, gold medals. There's, there's some gold medals out on the tables uh, and out here uh, in this hallway as well. And th- they're just uh, reminders for us. I don't recommend that you wear them yourself. Uh, instead, I recommend that you put them somewhere that might remind you uh, that Jesus Christ is our champion, that he has uh, fought the good fight, that he has run the race, and we are chasing after him. We are running the race that he has endured first. Jesus is the winner. So put it somewhere, maybe on the mirror in your car or maybe on the mantle in your home. Uh, but his victory means victory over sin and death for you and for me. And if you're able now, uh, I'd ask you to stand and receive the word as I close. Uh, I'm going to simply read the words of Jesus uh, and the apostles, the authors of the New Testament, to you from God's word. I did a survey this week of every New Testament book to try and find teachings on endurance and steadfastness. And I found at least one for every letter except 3 John. That was kind of a tough one. Pretty short, though. Um, But I was going to read you one from every book that I could find, but I thought we'd be here a little bit, uh, a little long, (laughs) a few extra minutes if I did. So instead I picked a select few, but it was about half of the books. But I want you to allow the call of God, the word of God through through the saints to to sing over you through these verses. Much like when Tyson preached last Sunday, we talked about God singing over us through his word. We're going to do that today. So here we go. In Matthew, Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Mark Jesus says if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. To the Romans, Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. To the Galatians, Paul writes, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, To Timothy, Paul writes, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. To Titus, Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, James writes to the church, "Count at all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Peter writes in Second Peter to the Church, "Therefore beloved, since you are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and be at peace." John writes in 1 John five, "For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jude writes to the church, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And lastly, Revelation 14 says, John writes, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Endurance is our call. You don't just get up one day and run a marathon, you get up day after day and you improve little by little with discipline and the power and the strength of God. Rest assured, Greenville First Christian Church, that though our suffering may be long in the flesh, like Paul says, it pales. It pales in comparison to the promise awaiting us in Christ Jesus. So we fight the good fight, we, we go the distance, we know that there is a hope and a victory for you and for me beyond the flesh. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, give us endurance, give us strength. Lord, even for some of us, give us miraculous endurance and strength to those who are doubting and who are, who are unsure God, I I ask that they would be uh, encouraged and strengthened. I ask that they would be reminded uh, to hold fast to the confession we made in the presence of many witnesses, God. Uh, That you are resurrected from the dead, Lord Jesus, and in that resurrection, we have resurrection too. We have a promise in store for us. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you did not leave us abandoned, but you decided to give us away. You chose to give us away because that's who you are, Lord. You are one who saves his people. You have been doing that since the beginning of creation, Lord. You are creating and recreating and making new again, Lord. We thank you. Lord, be our strength, be our foundation. Remind us that you're the champion and that your victory's already won. All we have to do is follow after you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Your are holy and good name, Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Amen.